So 1 Thessalonians uh, 4, in chapter 4, one title that I found for this chapter was Holiness in the Light of the Coming of the Lord. Holiness in the Light of the Coming of the Lord. And uh, <clears throat> really feeling like... Um, the first about eight verses, um, actually three through eight, uh, it's, it's supposed to be a Sunday morning text that we do, uh, you know, sooner than later, or somehow it may even tie into the gospel-centered family, um, but it's, it's regarding um, just purity, and, um, and so just feeling like that's a, a text that, it's one of those every now and then we just kind of set aside for like the majority of the body that would gather together. So, um, so we're going to major on uh, about 9 through 18 tonight, but we will read verses 1 and 2 because it kind of sets up those verses. Uh, Finally then, brethren, we urge and exhort in the Lord Jesus that you should abound more and more just as you receive from us how you ought to walk and to please God. For you know what commandments we gave you through the Lord Jesus. So, uh, as usual, in Paul's writings, he will lay down some good, solid doctrine, and then he'll draw out the application of that through our Christian living. Uh, because doctrine is true, consequences follow, and how we ought to live. Uh, he calls the life that we live here a walk there at the end of verse 1. Just as uh, you receive from us how you ought to walk and to please God. And so as we're encouraging people who call themselves Christians, uh, you know, there is an, there's conversations that we can have as we're counseling and encouraging and exhorting uh, to say, you know, you ought to do this. You know, things that are clearly laid out in Scripture, uh, you're able to say, this is how this ought to go. You know, in a sense, when I see you in a week or so, this ought to have happened by then. You know, or some things like that, where it's like um, things that come and flow from believing the truth of who Jesus is. I think it was uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer who classically said, those who believe, obey. I mean, that's pretty simple. It kind of lays it out. You really believe Jesus is? Then, then there's none of this, oh, I don't know that I really want to. And it's like, well, I mean, at the end of the day, or at the end of the season, or whatever the Lord's working there, like, you're going to be obeying the Lord. That's what John gets into in 1 John, that you know, those who are Christ can't just keep on sinning without the Holy Spirit working a heart of repentance and a heart that would want to walk and please God. Uh, so uh, that walk, Leon Morris says, is the Christian way. And it means steady, even if unspectacular progress. <laughs> so that's kind of what a walk is. You know, you're just... Uh, you're walking today, I, uh, lately a little bit, um, but today was a case where um, I've got the kids in the morning, the little ones, till about one, and, you know, I'm kind of at that place where I'm like, I've got to find something to do with these kids, <laughs> you know, because 
Uh, they need to burn some energy, and they need, like, I need somehow to get the hours to go by because I'm going to die right now. You know how it is. Um, you should really enjoy that time. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah, I know. No, I'm kidding. Of course, it's enjoyable. But, you know, we're going for walks right now. And, uh, and I want to run. I kind of want to use it to, you know, burn some cows and stuff. And, and, uh, but Titus wants to walk. And so he starts out, and he's just, just enjoying the walk and cruising over here and over here. And he's got Dudley one minute, and he doesn't have Dudley the next minute, you know. And, and he's just on the right side of the road, on the left side of the road. And then a car comes, and he knows he gets over here on the side. And, and I mean, we're just covering zero ground, you know. And finally, you know, I'm just like, hey, um, how about you sit in here for a little while so we can, you know. And, uh, and it's just funny because there's times where we're moving, and it's when he's in the cart. And there's times when we are snail's pace, and that's when, uh, when he's out walking. It's enjoyable for sure. But, you know, the Christian life, it's, it's more of an endurance race or a walk than it is a sprint. You know, um, you know even in ministry, you know, just we've, we get guys that are, man, let's just go hardcore just all the way. And that's really wonderful, but there's also the perspective of burnout. And like, we're in this for the long haul, you know, I'm almost 36. And you know, if I maybe change my diet pattern a little bit and quit, quit having so many coconut covered chocolate almonds uh, after lunch, then I might make it to a good 65, but, um, <laughs> or 63, but um, you know, I've got, a, I've got, a, it's, we got some time here, you know? And so, but it doesn't mean we slack, we're slack. It's that this is a walk. And so let's also be just the day-to-day, minute-by-minute, um, pleasing the Lord. And so um, this how you must live starts out in verses 1 and 2 about, uh, <clears throat> really we're going to be given three requirements uh, to developing this holiness in light of the Lord's coming. And the first one is keep your life pleasing. Keep your life pleasing. And... Um, you know, he, he uses the word abound here. And he tells us in the epistles to abound in many different things. That Different ones are abound in love, abound in hope, abound in thanksgiving, uh, abound in the work of the Lord, abound in giving, abound in grace. And so in uh, here he says, you know, be abundant, be um, abounding more and more and there's not exactly one thing that's given except that just, man, keep your life pleasing. And that goes right into verses 3 through 8 where um, he would say, keep your lust prohibited <laughs> in a sense. Or I, I called it tonight, trying to work on some alliteration, which I'm not real great at, but it was Paul's prod towards purity. <laughs> so don't be eating crackers when you're trying to say that, but Paul's prod towards purity. And um, that's the great text of the Sunday morning teaching that we're going to be doing um, in verses uh, 3 through 8. But here's what it says, and, and I'm reading it so that we can be prayerful over the weeks to come. Um, For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you should abstain from sexual immorality. That each of you should know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor. Not in passion of lust, like the Gentiles who do not know God. That no one should take advantage of and defraud his brother in this matter. 
because the Lord is the avenger of all such, as we also forewarned you and testified. For God did not call us to uncleanness, but in holiness. Therefore, he who rejects this does not reject man, but God, who has also given us his Holy Spirit. So I'm prayerful about that um, being one of our park uh, studies. Um, but uh, you can just be praying that, that also, you know, that the Lord would uh, do a purifying work uh, in our church and those that would call this their church in, um, in you know, all of those different sexual sins that kind of are lumped into the word fornication that are prevalent in our culture in this day. Uh, so, man, I've been knowing that text is coming and it's, it's a big verse um, actually I taught a purity conference in Corvallis that we put on for, I think it was four or five years. It was called Pure Choice and it was down at OSU on the campus and, you know, thousands of college students coming out and, and this was the text there, you know, you've got these college students that are, what's God's will for my life? And it's like, Hey, whether you're an engineer or a veterinarian or a businessman, um, he wants you to be pure. You know, he wants to give you purity and you keep that purity. And, um, and he wants to give you the Holy Spirit to help you live in that. So uh, just be prayerful for this local culture that we have and how uh, just God wants to use that text. And so, but then we keep going in our text tonight in verse 9 and kind of that walk, um, you know, uh, that, that the Lord would have us live, walking worthy. Uh, we see it in verse 9 here for a couple verses before we see it. It's in light of the day of the Lord. So verse 9, but concerning brotherly love, you have no need that I should write to you, for you yourselves are taught by God to love one another. And so the third thing here is keep your love prominent. Keep your love prominent. Apparently, the Thessalonians were doing pretty good at loving each other with a pure brotherly love. Now, it's interesting. This is the word um, brotherly love. Is, uh, it's like basically where we get the word Philadelphia from. Uh, uh, Philo and then Delphos. Uh, so Philadelphia, it's the city of brotherly love. And that's what the, the Thessalonians or the Salonicans um, were they were just living it. Like they didn't even need to be told. And I think that's kind of a thing that's going on in this church. Um, I mean, I don't recall a lot of hammering on the pulpit. Like, why won't you love each other? You know, um, it just happens in our body. Praise the Lord. And, and, you know, it's interesting that this essential thing of loving the brothers. And by the way, it's different than just agape love. Um, agape love is the unconditional love that the presence of God brings for everyone, um, but this is a different, it's, it's a love between the brothers. And uh, Jeremiah tells us that, you know, the day is going to come when I'm going to give you a new heart and, and a new mind, and you're not going to have to tell each other to know God. God's going to be revealing himself to you. Uh, it's not some weird, like, new agey thing that, well, God told me this when the Bible says that, and they're different. And No, but he's going to be working by the Spirit in our hearts uh, so that in this case, we're just loving each other and that's what the Holy Spirit works in us is love for each other. He's going to help us love God and love people. 
And uh, Romans 12.10 tells us, be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love in honor giving preference to one another. So kind and affectionate, brotherly love, preferring one another with this honor and um, valuing one another. And Hebrews 13 speaks towards brotherly love also. It says, let brotherly love continue. Let brotherly love continue. And, um, and Peter tells us in First Peter or Second Peter 1, uh, a list of wonderful virtues to add to our faith. And one of those things is um, brotherly kindness. We're to add brotherly kindness to our faith. Uh, then moving on in our uh, First Thessalonians 4, verse 10, And indeed you do so toward all the brethren who are in all Macedonia, but we urge you, brethren, that you increase more and more. So remember, uh, Thessalonica was in Macedonia, which was the Europe of the day. And, uh, and the Thessalonians were an example, he tells us in chapter 1, to the rest of the Europeans. And apparently one way that they were was that they were just really loving towards all those different churches. And it kind of reminds me of a little bit of what we got going on here, a little bit what Burns has going on, where we are loving the region and the brothers in the region, even though it's costly. You know, it was my second trip to John Day the other day, and we went via Seneca and then up through, and, and loving on Seneca, even though there were like three people there from the community, which is like, you know, you do the math, there's 200 people in the or 250, you know, in the population. So that's quite a good turnout, actually. And, uh, you know, it's just like, it's worth it. These people that are hungry for the word and want to, to grow and then going to John Day and, and it's really great. And Johnny was with me and he goes, you know, this is really fun right now, but when the winter rolls around, it might not be so fun, <laughs> you know? And, uh, you know, we may rework what it looks like in the winter, but the fact is, it's like, man, there may be times where it's just all out not pleasant. But we're, we're loving on our brothers and with a heart of outreach to see revival in Oregon. And it's really exciting to see what God is doing. I actually uh, was at a branding down in Polina yesterday and talking to a guy and, um, and just telling him what we're doing. He's not even a believer. And I'm just telling him like our heart to go reach Central and Eastern Oregon. And he's like, huh man, that is really cool, you know? And I was like, yeah, it's kind of like, you know, David Brainerd and the circuit preachers back in the day. He'd get on a horse and he'd go around and reach the uh, Native Americans and go around and preach the gospel. And it's like, man, we're, we got to get our ponies and do it, but you know, that would take a lot longer. But um, by a Ford pony, that would also work. But, uh, and then in verse 11, that you also aspire to lead a quiet life, to mind your own business and to work with your own hands as we commanded you. And all of a sudden, the chapter gets really convicting, doesn't it? Right? Uh, that we would have a goal to remain silent and quiet. Not exactly a mark of our culture right now, is it? You know, um, especially as you start getting involved in the social media world where, you know, you're basically you can just throw out and just puke out your opinions and and attack people and not even be prayerful about how to write to somebody and you just you know you're just meddling in other people's affairs and other people's business and and I mean this really is a good word for us in our day and you know to have a goal to remain quiet and we well how do I do that 
mind your own business, <laughs> is what Paul says. And I think it's funny that he just lays it down. Like, you need to mind your own business. You know? <laughs> and, uh, and it's interesting, the word there, it's one word, and its root is idios. <laughs> you know? But I don't get it, because it's like the good thing to do is mind your own business, and that's idios. So, guess we're supposed to be... Anyways... <laughs> Do your own word study on that one. Uh, but perhaps the Solonikans, if I can call them, maybe they didn't listen to this part of the chapter. Maybe they didn't listen to this exhortation uh, because <clears throat> he comes back to him in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 11, and he says, We hear that there are some who walk among you in a disorderly manner, not working at all, but are busybodies, now those who are such, we command and exhort through our Lord Jesus Christ that they work in quietness and eat their own bread. And uh, so apparently, you know, there were some that kind of needed to have read First Thessalonians and they weren't listening to that mind your own business part and being quiet. And he had to kind of bring some correction to that uh, for those that, you know, weren't staying silent. And um, Paul tells Timothy about the younger widows who don't go back into just living life. They will become busybodies. And it says in 1 Timothy 5, besides they learn to be idle, wandering around from house to house, and not only idle, but also gossips and busybodies saying things which they ought not. You know, you, you hear the age saying, well, if you want my opinion, blah, 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 you know. And um, for some reason, my mind goes back to the Haley Mills version of, um, of the parent trap, you know. And is it, is it her mom or the maid or, or the, the house lady that, you know, well, I don't say a word, but blah, 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 blah. And it's like, oh, you do say a word. And, uh, but, you know, that wandering around from house to house, gossips, busybodies, and, and there's just that good stopping of the meddling that needs to happen. And in our culture, we would do well to learn that too, to, to not just be trolls. You know, it's, a, it's an internet word to describe someone who is just looking for someone to jump on and throw their opinion out to and just kind of blah. And, and usually it's detrimental. It's not edifying. And I think that's the case here with the busybodies. <clears throat> but then also the work with your own hands as we've commanded you. Not only did Paul command it, but he showed it. Um, through laboring, building tents, <clears throat> and uh, and so uh, being, you know, there's wonderful things to be said, and I think it's in Second Thessalonians that he gets into that as well. Uh, verse twelve, that you may walk properly toward those who are outside, and that you may lack nothing. So those who are on the outside, who are non-believers, that we would be a light, that our walk would be salt and light to them, causing them to be thirsty and attracted uh, to Jesus, being a good witness. Leon Morris said that your daily life may win the respect of outsiders. You must always have in mind the opinion of the world, for you must not bring discredit on the faith by being careless of opinions. And, and so, um, it was interesting. So, uh, this is kind of a moment where I want to share current events and prayer needs. Um, but uh, went out to the Teskies 
to go to their branding uh, yesterday, and then I'm going back out tomorrow. And man, guys, like I just feel like Paul when he was in Athens, and he was just surrounded by um, idolatry, and his heart was grieved. And not by the Teskies by any means. You know, they were such a, a light, um, including their their sons who just love the Lord. But but to be surrounded by these ranchers that are that are just um, it's a culture of really self-made, self-strength, very talented, very um, just, you know, professionals at what they do. Um, and yet just this level of almost like, why in the world would I need Jesus? Because I got me. And that's pretty awesome, you know? <laughs> um, and just my heart was just broken for uh, just this group of people who three different people asked me what I do for a living. And I, I never just want to throw out that I'm a pastor. Um, cause that'll just turn people off most of the time. But you know, I, I'm, I love Jesus, you know, <laughs> and, and, uh, but they asked what I do for a living. And so I'd tell them, you know, I'm a pastor in the church that Sarah and Alan go and without missing a beat, three different guys said, well, why would I need to go to church when I've got all this, you know? And, uh, and, and why would I need to go into a building when I've got this beauty? And I understand what they mean in that case. And we don't need to go in a building. That's just a great shelter from rain and heat and <laughs> snow. Um, in fact, then I proceeded to invite to the park service and to the LRS fest and all of that. Um, but I just went away from this branding, um, just crying out just for revival among this people group. Um, that, I mean, they're out there and they ain't planning on going anywhere to church for a while unless maybe every few weeks they make it over to the chapel there in Polina. And, and so just pray. Will you guys pray and just labor in prayer for, it's just, it's interesting that for really years we've just had Polina and just praying for Polina, what's going, you know, what could happen? And then the Teskies and it's like, hey, just pray over that area. And then and then, uh, you know, Jeremy Cooley was building a pole barn down there during the fast last year. And I just said, be praying about, as you're down there during the fast, just pray over this area and pray what God might do. And then, you know, it's on the circuit to Seneca, to John Day, back through Mitchell, you know, and just like, Lord, what might you want to do um, in Planet? Even joining in what's maybe sort of happening there. So, and then... Also, it's the year that the LRS Fest is going on and the owner of that business wants to have the gospel preached on that Sunday. And so my friend Ryan Smith from Corvallis is coming with his band and he's leading worship and then I'm preaching the gospel in post. And I was just inviting, um, inviting these ranchers and I went down to uh, the, post, or the Polina store and, and these people were out like waving at me like really big and, and I'm like, Hey, you know, I don't know who they are. And then uh, I get out to go get a water and like, hey, are you the new guy? <laughs> and I'm like, well, I'm new and I'm a guy, but I don't know if I'm the new guy. I don't really know what that means. And they're like, come on over here and come sit with us for a little while. I'm like, oh, gosh, I've got to get home to my kids. I've been gone like a whole day. And come on, just come for a little while. And so I went over there and it ended up being the wives of two of the three guys there that asked me what I did and then. I got to have little conversations about church and the Lord and stuff. And it was their wives that were sitting out and a couple other people. It wasn't just their wives. <laughs> but, and I sat and I just got to, it's another culture, I'm just telling you. 
And then I just got to invite him to come, come here, hear me. You know, you're like, you want to hear about Jesus? I'm like, come hear me. Come, you want to come hear me give a message of hope. And so just be praying. But, you know, here we are. And, and then it was just cool. Joe Papanaugh called me last night. And we just both were just pouring out grief. Um, he's like, every time I go to one of those brandings, my heart is burdened with the same thing. And we just prayed over the phone. I'm just like, Lord, let us be lights. And, you know, just in the, that people would just know. And just part of my prayer tonight about the kingdom of God advancing. Because the king is in us. And just as we are living in the economy of God's kingdom, that would be attractive to people. And they would want, what is that? And so just be praying over kind of this region. And there's some ministry that opens. Also, um, Alfredo Gomez Medina was there and like so far about the three farms that I've gotten to work on all those Medina brothers are there you know you got Juan uh, Geronimo who I've mentioned in my sermons and now Alfredo and he was one of the guys who was like asking me about my church and he's got a cousin that's a Jehovah's Witness that's pulling on him and, and then you know the, well, I don't think I need to go in a building and I'm like you don't but that's where and I just was like that's where there's shelter and it's where you learn about Jesus so and so I said Come to the park service, and if you don't, I'm coming down here. So one way or another, you got to, you know. Uh, so just be prayerful towards for those who are on the outside. And, you know, just as I'm sharing, you know, my heart was never to, like, be that pastor that just, I've got my office here at the church, and I'm just like, nine to five, like, you know, these are the office hours, and this is where, like, I want to get outside the walls and be out there, and, you know, whether it's coaching um, or, you know, getting to brand and be around people, you know, just be around those that, um, that aren't saved. Chad Carpenter posted a, a great article. Lindsay told me about just that very thing about spending time with, um, those who are on the outside and then letting them observe our conduct and our faith. And so, um, and then we move on to verses 13 through 18 that I titled, all caught up with Jesus, all right? All caught up with Jesus. And it says, But I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. So we've got this word ignorant, um, and it really means I don't want you to fail to understand something here. Now, in the New Testament, Paul gives us five things he does not want us to be ignorant of. He doesn't want us to fail to understand. And without fail, these are all things that the church is ignorant of. They're things that the church is either too lazy to dive into and look into, or they're things the church is too afraid. They're controversial. And so they just kind of choose to back away and not even spend time diving into it. The first thing in the scripture is God's plan for Israel. God's plan for Israel. God doesn't want us to be ignorant of the mystery that blindness in part has happened to Israel until the Gentiles have come in and then all Israel will be saved one day. So God's not done with Israel. We're just in this unique church age where the church is to make Israel jealous with their deep relationship with the Messiah. Uh, the second thing that Paul tells us not to be ignorant of is the Old Testament. And uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, I don't want you to be ignorant of those things that have happened because they serve as examples for us, Paul tells us. So, so many Christians are ignorant of the Old Testament. 
Um, we did a we did a, a youth camp once where it was an Old Testament survey, kind of like School of Ministry, but without the sweet Bible project videos. And and uh, our sweatshirt for the camp, it was a winter camp. It said, um, "I read the Old Testament too." You know, that was our camp sweatshirt. Um, and you know, we just take this like we're not to be ignorant, even as high schoolers, of the Old Testament. Third thing that we're to not be ignorant of are spiritual gifts. And so people hop over 1 Corinthians 12 through 14, or don't let them be, uh, don't let the gifts be used. And Paul says, I don't want you to be ignorant concerning spiritual gifts. Um, we're told that uh, we're not to be ignorant of the apostles' suffering, and even modern day, the missionary suffering, as Cheryl made us aware of, you know, missionary suffering and um, those that are persecuted. And then the, the last thing would be. Um, you know, the rapture of the church or what happens to the dead in Christ. And that's where we're at tonight in 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 through 18. Don't be ignorant of those who have died. And then it goes on to say, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. And so they, they have no basis for hope. They have no expectation. They don't have, um, you know, this, this what is going to happen in the afterlife, you know, as I was talking to, uh, I think it was the cow boss over there at, at the Teskies, um, you know, we ended up kind of bringing up the rear with the herd, and it was just such slow going, and, and um, you know, he, he was using many choice words at the mother cows that were um, trying to bowl us over, and, uh, you know, and I just was like, just enjoying being with him, actually, and later on, like later on in the day, hours later, he just kind of in the middle of nowhere, he just comes up and says, um, what do you do you know for a living and i told him he's like huh and then we kind of went to tackling a cow you know or a a calf and and then a little bit later um just kind of nonchalantly you know man really glad i asked you what you do um i just i wouldn't have known that you know (laughs) and uh i don't know if he was like i probably shouldn't have said all those things but you know um but you know he's like oh it's like hey man well gosh we'd love to have you just hop in the truck with the teskies sometime and come with them and and, you know, he was just like, well, you know, I, I know that God created all of this and it wasn't man and that's all I need to know. I'm happy just knowing that. And, you know, he must have said that three different times and, and then it was, uh, and anyone who doesn't know it was God who did this is blankety blank and this and that and the other. And I'm like, man, that, those sentences, um, when you think about it, they don't really go together. But um, so anyways, but then, you know, it's like, but there is more that needs to be known than just God created this. Like, because the, there's a day that's going to come when that man's heart is going to stop beating. And what is going to happen after that, or even for the family, you know? And, and there's going to be a sorrow. There's not the same peace as you go into death for those who do not have, uh, who have hope. And so, you know, it's natural for us to grieve when a believer dies, but the sorrow is more on our end. You know, we're going to miss him or her this time that we have without them. But, you know, but we know that they're way better off. And they're, you know, Paul, you know, was was upset when they brought him back to life, you know, in praying. You know, he's like, man, I, I would have rather departed and been with the with the Lord. And um and so, you know, he, I don't want you to be ignorant about what happens at death, but then more importantly, the context is, and then the process of the Lord's return or the rapture of the church. 
um, you know, that'll end up bringing a lot of hope to the Christian. And so this passage is a very comforting passage that we can bring to people so that they don't sorrow in the way of those that don't have any hope. One guy, Ralston, pointed out that almost every funeral service uses words from this passage. Uh, When we realize that people are with the Lord, that sorrow becomes rejoicing. And the context here is actually is the rapture of the church. And I'm going to just share a little bit later just um, the great comfort that I had knowing this passage when my dad passed away. But it was similar with Jesus speaking to Mary in John 11, 25 and 26 when he said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? Uh, so there's this great hope for those of, in the resurrection. Uh, and, and Jesus tells us to believe in him and we will have that uh, hope. Um, Leon Morris wrote, if I could read a paragraph to you. He con- uh, his contrast is not between one degree of sorrow and another, but between Christian hope and pagan despair. The contrast is exemplified in two early statements uh, cited by Frame, the guy that he's quoting. The first is a letter of the second century in which he reads, Irene to, funny name, Town of Forests and Philo. And then he writes, Good Comfort. So he's quoting a guy named Irene who's writing to some people who've died uh, or who have relatives who've died. He says, good comfort. I was as sorry and wept over the departed one as I wept for Didymus. And all things whatsoever were fitting, I did. And all mine, Epaphroditus and Thermithulon and Philion and Apollonius and Platus, but nevertheless, against such things, one can do nothing. Therefore, comfort one another. And then uh, we have Morris, quote, Deesman, um, from where Frame took his letter. He spoke of Irene as experiencing the difficulty of those whose business it is to console, but have no consolation to offer. And so maybe you might remember before you were a believer the, the shallow comfort you would get from people. Um, or maybe even as a believer as you're going through it and the non-believer uh, goes to comfort you and it's shallow. They don't have the same hope. Uh, and then there was another a letter that was quoted, um, Aristides, and he said, If any righteous man among them passes from the world, they rejoice and offer thanks to God and they escort the body as if he were setting out from one place to another nearby. And so see the difference between, um, it was at um, Irene. Yeah, thank you, Irene. Uh, who had no hope in his comforting, and then the, the Aristides who just says, man, we have such joy when a believer passes. Verse 14 For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. And so we have this 
um, basis for our hope and hope of the resurrection, and that is in Jesus, that he died, he rose again, and then as the New Testament says time and time again, he's the first one or the first fruits who's going to rise. He's the first one of us who will also rise from the dead. And so um, there's this great joy for us that because Jesus died and rose, that anyone who dies in New Testament says it as sleeps, because it's just sleeping, um, it's not death, death, um, there will be also a, a rising as well. And uh, it's really fun right now, Titus is, I remember doing this with Russell, and then Russell taught it to Titus that uh, just really quickly the gospel for a two-year-old, and it's just, in the little words he's able to use, he just says, Jesus died on the cross, and buried and he says buried like it's an instructional video like buried and rose from the dead and just like it's like time to celebrate 30 times in a row he'll go on and do it 30 times in a row and it's celebration time every time there's the resurrection and that's just cool though because yeah we should have that two-year-old like rose from the dead you know and uh, every time we hear it let's be excited about it amen um, and so we have this confidence that we will be with the Lord one day. And it says in verse 15, this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. And so prefacing what he's going to get into here. And he's just saying like, this is the word of the Lord. This isn't Paul's opinion. What I'm going to get into right now is it's authority of what is going to happen. And the culture, the cultural context of what he's writing to here is that the Thessalonians were afraid that their relatives who had died won't be able to witness uh, the rapture or the coming of the Lord. And Paul brings some comfort to them that we won't see the Lord until those who've died before us see the Lord. And we know that whether it's Philippians or Corinthians, that to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. But what he's referring to here is even deeper than that. He's talking about the resurrection and he's talking about um, you know, the, the rapture of the church is what we're getting to. And I'm going to show you in just a minute that I'm not just inserting a rapture argument. It's actually in the text, and Paul's the one that inserts it. So, um, so verse 16, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Okay, so here we have, really what the rapture will look like. So the Lord himself, so Jesus, will descend from heaven with a shout, or the NIV, with a loud command, kind of like a Lazarus come forth. Or, uh, you know, it's a good thing he said Lazarus come forth or else everyone would have come forth. So it's a good thing he specified. But there's power in this final shout here, this great shout. And it's with the voice of an archangel. Now, as we're reading and studying this, maybe his voice is like an archangel, or maybe it's actually an archangel. Okay, 
But we do know that there's a blast from the trumpet of God here. Okay? So somehow there's this great blast. There's this shout. Maybe like an archangel or maybe an archangel. But there's this trumpet of God. It's confusing because many people take this to to maybe mean like a mid-trib rapture, like one of the trumpets from the seven trumpet judgment. Um, But we know that this is the trumpet of God here speaking. Um, Perhaps it's not even a trumpet as much as it is the the sound of the blast of, of some sort of great cry. And the reason I would say that is Revelation 1, 9, John says, um, he introduces, you know, why he was on the island of Patmos and he was there in the spirit on the Lord's day. And then he says behind me, or yeah, I heard behind me a loud voice as of a trumpet. Okay. So we know that, uh, that whatever he heard when Jesus spoke to him, because Jesus is going to go right into speaking when it, when Jesus spoke, it was a loud voice as of a trumpet, similar to what Paul is saying here, there will be a voice, a shout as of an archangel, which is, we're using synonyms there. And then the trumpet of God. Okay. Um, and then what we have is, you know, then you can look at, uh, revelation. So revelation chapter one, he hears that shout. He hears the trumpet. It's Jesus. Okay. Then chapters 2 and 3 of Revelation are what are called the church age, where there's seven churches in Revelation. And the interesting thing is, as you look at each one of those seven churches, it provides a wonderful panoramic picture of church history. Everything from the darling church in its early stages in the first century, to the persecuted church, uh, to the um, Roman Catholic Church period age to the Protestant Reformation uh, to the um, faithful church, which can kind of encompass all of that. Um, but And then the, the lukewarm church. And there's even warnings in there about the day of the Lord coming and maybe being taken out of that and those that are faithful being kept out of that. And then what you have that's interesting is after this kind of panoramic snapshot of church history, you have chapter 4, verse 1, where after the church age, I looked and behold, a door was standing open in heaven. And the first voice which I heard was like a trumpet speaking to me saying, come up here and I will show you the things that will take place after this. After what? After the church age. So, You've got the church age. You've got the whole history of the church laid out for us. Then there's a come up here. Okay. And, and we're going to see as we read in First Thessalonians, then we who are alive and remain will be caught up to the clouds to meet the Lord. Okay. So he says to John, come up here. And then all of a sudden he's in the presence of the Lord where he sees the throne room of God. There's a group of people that can only be Christians uh, worshiping the lamb who was slain thanking him for dying for them. Then you have a seven-year tribulation period, chapters 6 through 19, where you see people getting saved during that period, but they're not part of that church age period. Then at the end of chapter 19, still during the tribulation period, you have the marriage supper of the Lamb. Okay, 
This is where the bride who's adorned in white celebrates what the groom has done. Then you have the groom get on his white steed at the end of chapter 19 and come back with the army of heaven dressed in white. We studied last week there at the end of chapter 3 with the saints and they come back and it's there during the second coming that Jesus will set his feet on the earth. And so the differences are on the rapture of the church, there's a voice of a trumpet. We're looking up for that. We'll be caught up in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Then we'll spend a seven-year honeymoon period with the Lord. Then he comes back and the difference is he sets his feet on the Mount of Olives and he sets his kingdom up on the earth for the millennial reign. The day of the Lord theologically can mean anything from the period of when Jesus ascended, okay? And then, but then also there's times in the New Testament where it's speaking of more end times and it can be speaking of from rapture through tribulation all the way on. That's all kind of considered like the day of the Lord. So, and that's next week in 1 Thessalonians 5. Yeah, if you could just wait a little bit, um, that would be really good. I know, what if he comes back? Then we'll never know. Okay, but what we do see back in our text, the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, voice of archangel, trumpet of God, the dead in Christ will rise first. So, my dad is someone who died, you know, 16 years ago. What is it, it's 2017? So, um, man, we're going on, uh, yeah, 16 years ago. He will be one who died in Christ and he will be raised first. His, right now he's in the presence of the Lord, but his body that was racked with, you know, he used to be a Washington State wrestler and, you know, he was in good shape. And then cancer just wrecked his body and a stroke paralyzed his body. Then he was cremated. Really like his body is in the need of some like really nice polishing. It is going to be transformed as it's shot into the air. First Corinthians 15 tells us, and he will be, you know, joined with his new body there. And this is all in the moment in a twinkling of an eye. And then uh, verse 17 tells us, and you can insert in your relatives and friends who've died in Christ. Then verse 17, we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Okay, so where do we meet Jesus? Do we go to the Mount of Olives and hang out in, the new Jer- in Jerusalem for a thousand years? Or do we meet him in the clouds and spend time in the throne room of God worshiping as, first, as a Revelation 4 and 5 show us? But regardless, from that point on, this is what's the best and most exciting part. We will always be with the Lord. Is that not awesome? We'll always be with the Lord from that point on. Uh, so notice there the word caught up, all right? Caught up. Uh, now, there are those who don't believe in the rapture of the church because they say that the word rapture is not found in the Bible. Okay, so how do we answer that? And the question is, what translation are you reading? In the Latin Vulgate, the word caught up is the word raptus. Okay, and so if you were reading from the Latin, you would read it. We who are alive in the remain, however that sounds in, in Latin, will be raptus. Okay, that's how they would say it. Um, it's, it's where we get the English word rapture. Or if you prefer Greek, harpazo, which means to catch and to pluck up and to pull. 
And it really means in the Greek to take by powerful force. Okay? So call it whatever you want, but there is a catching away of believers. And so to make a point, you won't find the word millennium in the scripture either, but it's the Latin way of saying thousand years, which the scripture also speaks of. Same with the word trinity, uh, not found in the Bible, but you find the principle. You won't find the word Bible in the Bible. Latin, it's the word book. Okay. And so, um, yeah, so uh, that's, we get it from the Latin or the Greek, depending there. Um, So exciting time, one of the most exciting times and the rapture will happen. And I just love, you know, man, on the subject of the rapture, I used to just be like so just like hammering pre-trib, which is still my position. Um, and then I just found that there's many people that love Jesus that, you know, they hold more of a mid-trib or they're just, you know, and I just am able to just step back and say, you know, here's my position and I don't have the time tonight to totally get into it, but I've taught it many times at the church. You can go back and listen online, whether it was when we were in Luke on the Olivet Discourse or 1 Corinthians 15 was like a six-week series on it. Uh, and so, but I would say, uh, you know, that uh, as Billy Graham said, you know, we pray for a pre-trib rapture, uh, prepare for a post. But um, I think that there's wonderful scripture um, backing up a pre-trib rapture. And it's just a hope, you know. Um, It's the imminent return of Jesus. Jesus tells us to watch and always be watching. And, you know, it's the wicked servant that says, my master delays his coming. You know, in my intensive studying of even the book of Daniel, great Bible prophecy, we know when the second coming is going to happen. You can do the actual math in Daniel chapter 9, and in the math that Daniel gives us, it comes directly down to the day that Jesus rode into Jerusalem on a donkey. And then we're told a period of time from the rapture to the abomination of desolations in the middle of the tribulation, and then the exact number of days is given to us in Revelation when the second coming will come. But we're told by Jesus that we don't know when the rapture is going to happen. That's the surprising one. So there's also a difference there. One way or another, uh, I like what Alistair Begg said is, you know, he's just very humble in it. And he just says, like, one way or another, a rapture is going to happen. You know, because we just read it right there. We will be caught up. Okay, so whether it's pre-mid or post, like, come Lord Jesus, come quickly, as the book of Revelation adds, uh, come soon. But there's also wonderful things we're going to see next week that God hasn't appointed us to wrath, which is what the tribulation is. And we also see that the letters of the faithful churches in Revelation, that they will be spared from that hour of trial that will come upon the whole world. And we also see the letter to the corrupt church in Thyatira, that those who keep continuing on in immorality and adultery will be left because they're not really born again. Okay, so also interesting. At the end of it all is in verse 18, Therefore, comfort one another with these words. Ron, you want to come on up and lead us in uh, our last song? And this is what Paul is getting at here, is that he's comforting the Thessalonians who were like, oh no, my family members passed away. They've missed the rapture. or They've missed the coming of the Lord. They've missed the resurrection. Uh, and why? It was because Paul was preaching that it was going to happen in their lifetime. They had an expectancy for the imminent return of Jesus. Now, as Ron's getting his guitar all loaded up, 
when I was 19, I had just gone to Israel for my first time, and I went to the Temple Institute, and I was just able to see the things that are set in place for the coming of the day of the Lord to happen, like, could happen in my lifetime. I might have seen the preparation for everything for the next temple to be built, which is something we see happening at the work of the Antichrist. And so I came home from Israel, and within a matter of two weeks, my dad had had a stroke, and in a matter of three months, he died. And my, my best buddy, my hero, there was dead in, a, in the Ben St. Charles ICU. And, uh, but I'll tell you what, this scripture was in my heart the whole time that he's coming quickly. And, and you know, I'm, I have comfort that I'm going to see him, uh, you know, my dad, um, maybe sooner than what I've got left to live. If the Lord tarries, it won't even be that long anyway. So there's wonderful comfort in the resurrection and in the rapture. And so, Lord, we just, why don't we all stand together? Lord, tonight, think of the title of this text, just holiness in light of the Lord's return. And so, Lord, as we know that this can happen at any minute, at the moment in the twinkle of an eye, Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians, you'll, be, you'll come for us, God. Lord, as John tells us, he who has this hope in himself purifies himself just as he is pure. And Lord, as we know the context that we got into tonight, that, that we want to live holy lives, even in sexual purity, as a church and as a culture, and as we raise our kids, Lord. Lord, that we would despise evil and love what is excellent and what is good, Lord. And so, Lord, just as we have this hope of that future where one day we'll, just, we'll, we'll be shot into the clouds and ever be with the Lord, we pray for comfort for those that are sorrowing right now. And Lord, we pray for purity for those that are living right now. Let us purify ourselves and look to the clouds and not be the wicked servants that say, my master delays his coming. Go ahead, Ron, you can close us in song.